Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. The Organina Saga. Chapter 45. Genealogical. When Earl Hakon ruled over the Orkneys, there lived a noble and wealthy man by the name of Modin at Dale in Caithness. His daughters were Helga and Frakuk Thorleif. Helga, Modin's daughter, was the concubine of Earl Hakon, and their son was Harold, who was called Sletmali, or Smooth Talker and their daughter was Ingia Borg, who was married to Olaf Bitling, the king of the Sudriar. Their second daughter was Margaret. Modin's daughter, Frakork, was married to a man who was called Liot Nyding, or Miscreant, in Sutherland, and their daughter was Steinbor the Stout, who was married to Thorliot at Reykjavik. Their sons were Olvia Rosta, Magnus Orm, and Modum Eindridi, and their daughter was Odhild. A second daughter of Frakork was Gudrun, married to Thorstein Hold, and their son was Thorbjorn Clerk. Hakon Paulson had a son named Paul, who was named Umalgi, or Speechless. He was a reserved man, but popular. When the brothers grew up, they never agreed. Hakon Paulson died on a sickbed in the islands, and his death was considered a great loss for in the later days of his reign there was unbroken peace, and the islanders suspected that the brothers would not agree well. Chapter 46 The Slaying of Thorkel Fostry After the death of Earl Hakon, his son succeeded him, but they soon disagreed and divided the dominions between them. Then also dissensions arose between the great men, and the vassals of each were divided into factions. Earl Harold held Caithness from the King of Scots, and he resided frequently there, but sometimes also in Scotland, for he had many friends and kinsmen there. When Earl Harold was staying in Sutherland, there came to him a man called Sigurd Slembier, who was said to be the son of the priest Adelbrecht. He came from Scotland, having been staying with King David, who held him in high esteem. Earl Harold received him extremely well. Sigurd went to the islands with Earl Harald and Frakork Modin's daughter, for her husband, Liot Nyding, was dead. She and her sister took a large share in the government with Earl Harald. Sigurd Slembier was a great favourite with all of them. At that time, Odhild, the daughter of Thorleif, was his concubine. Afterwards, she married to Hakon Klo. Before that time, she had been married to Erik Streta, and their son was Erik Slag Breller. When Sigurd and Frakork came to the islands, great dissensions arose, and both of the earls called together as many of their friends as they could get. 
The most attached to Earl Paul was Sigurd, who admired Ingeborg the noble, a kinswoman of the earls, and Thorkel, Simmerlidi's son, who was always with Earl Paul and was called his foster father. He was a kinsman of the holy Earl Magnus and a most popular man. The friends of the Earl thought that no man would less deplore their dissensions than Thorkel because of the injury done him by their father Hakon. At last, Earl Harald and Sigurd Slembeer went to Thorkel Fostry and slew him. When Earl Paul heard this, he was very much displeased and gathered his men together. But when their mutual friends became aware of this, they went between them and tried to reconcile them, and all took part in making peace. Earl Paul was so wroth that he could not make peace, unless all those who were concerned in the manslaying were banished. But as the islanders thought their dissensions a great calamity, they all tried to pacify them. And the result was that Sigurd and all those who, in Earl Paul's opinion, were most concerned in the crime, were banished from the Orkneys. Earl Harald paid the manboat or compensation for the slaughter of Thorkel. The terms of this peace were that their friendship should be confirmed and that they should spend Christmas and all the chief festivals together. Sigurd Slembeer left the Orkneys and went to Scotland and stayed for a while with Malcolm King of Scots and was well entertained. He was thought a great man in all manly exercises. He remained for a time in Scotland until he went to Jerusalem. Chapter 47 Earl Harold Slain by Sorcery Once the brothers were to be entertained at Orfjara, one of the Earl Harold's estates, and he was to bear the expense of the entertainment for both of them that Christmas. He was very busy and made great preparations. The sisters Frakork and Helga were there with the Earl and sat sewing in a little room. Earl Harold went into the room where the sisters were sitting on a crossbench and saw a linen garment newly made and his white snow lying between them. The Earl took it up and he saw it was embroidered with gold. He asked, To whom does this splendid thing belong? Frakork replied, It is intended for your brother Paul. Why do you make such a fine garment for him? You do not take such pains in my clothing. He had just come out of bed and was dressed in a shirt and linen drawers and had thrown a mantle over his shoulders. He threw off the mantle and spread out the dress. His mother took hold of it and asked him not to envy his brother of his fine clothing. The earl pulled it from her and prepared to put it on. Then Frakork snatched off her headgear and tore her hair and said that his life was at stake if he put it on and both of the women wept grievously. The earl put on the garments nevertheless, but as soon as it touched his sides, a shiver went through his body, which was soon followed by great pain, so that he had to take to his bed, and he was not long in bed until he died. His friends considered his death a great loss. Immediately after his death, his brother Paul took possession of the dominions, with the consent of the Bondi. Earl Paul considered that splendid underclothing, which Earl Harold had put on, had been intended for him and therefore he did not like the sisters to stay in the Orkneys. So they left the islands with all their attendants, and went first to Caithness, and then to Scotland to the estate which Frakork had there. Her son Erland was brought up there while he was young. Olvio Rosta, the son of Thorliot from Reykjavik, 
and Steni, Rakruk's daughter, were also brought up there. Olvir was a man of great strength, but a violent man and a great fighter. Thorbjorn Clerk, the son of Thorstein Holt, was brought up there, and also Margaret, the daughter of Earl Hakam and Helga, and Eric Slagbriller. All these men were of great families and much accomplished, and they all thought they had claims to the Orkneys. The brothers of Rakork were Magnus Orphy and Earl Othar, who was a noble man. Chapter 48 of Earl Paul Earl Paul then ruled the Orkneys and was very popular. He was somewhat taciturn, spoke little at the thanks, and gave others a large share in the government with himself. He was a modest man and gentle to the people, liberal with his money and spared nothing with his friends. He was not warlike and kept himself very quiet. At that time, there were many noble men descended from earls in the Orkneys. Then there lived at Westness in Rossi a nobleman by the name of Sigurd, who had married Ingeborg the noble. Her mother, Herborg, was the daughter of Earl Paul Thorfinnsson. Their sons were Brynjolf and Hakon Pick. All these were Earl Paul's vassals. So were also the sons of Harvard, Gunnison, Hakon Klo, Thorstein and Dufniel. Their mother was Bergliot, and her mother was Ragenhild, the daughter of Earl Paul. There was a man named Erling who lived in Caithness. He had four sons, all of them accomplished men. A man named Olaf lived in Garrixi and had another estate in Dugal's Bay in Caithness. Olaf was a great man and highly honoured by Earl Paul. His wife was named Aisleif, a wise woman, accomplished and two of a great family. Their sons were Valfjof, Svein and Gunni, all accomplished men. Their sister was named Ingegerg. Sigurd, the earl's brother-in-law, had married Thora, the mother of Earl Magnus, and their son was Hakon Karl. Both Sigurd and his sons were great chiefs. In North Ronaldsi there lived a woman by the name Ragna, and her son was named Thorstein, a man of great strength. A farmer named Kugi, a wise and wealthy man, lived in Westry. A farmer named Helgi lived at a hamlet in Westry. Thorko Fleta, a violent and powerful man, also lived in Westry. Thorsten and Havlidi were unpopular men. At Swona in the Pentland Firth lived a poor man, and his sons were Asbjorn and Margad, sturdy fellows. In the Fair Isle lived a man by the name Dagfin. A man named Thorsten lived at Flugnes in Rossi, and his sons were Thorstein, Krokauga, or Krikadai, and Blan. Both of them were wild fellows. Yatbor, the daughter of Earl Erland, and her son Borger, lived at Narstadir, and they were rather unpopular. John Boeing, or Wing, lived at Upland in Hay. Rickard lived at Brecker in Stromsey. They were poor men and relatives of Olaf Hrofsen. A man named Grimkill lived at Glutenness. All these men will be mentioned in the saga afterwards. Chapter 49 of Kali, who afterwards became an earl. Kol, who was a very wise man, resided on his estates at Agdir in Norway and did not go to the Orkneys. His son Kali grew up there and was a most promising man. He was of middle size, well-proportioned and very handsomely shaped. 
His hair was of a light auburn colour. He was very affable and popular, and highly accomplished. He made the following verses. At the game board I am skilful, knowing in no less than nine arts. Runic lore I remember well, books I like, with tools I'm handy. Expert am I on the snowshoes, with the bow, and pull an oar well. And besides, I am adept at the harp, and making verses. Callie was frequently with his kinsman Solmund, the son of Sigurd Sness. He was treasurer at Tunsberg and had estates at Ostrukdir. He was a great chief and had numerous retinue. Chapter 50 Of Callie and Gilchrist When Callie was fifteen winters old, he went with some merchants to England, taking with him a good cargo of merchandise. They went to a trading place called Grimsby. There was a great number of people from Norway, as well as from the Orkneys, Scotland and the Sudriar. Callie met a man there who was called Gilchrist. The latter asked Callie about many things in Norway, and spoke chiefly with him so that they became companions. Then he told Callie in confidence that his name was Harald, that Magnus Berlix was his father, and his mother was in the Sudriar. He further asked him how he would be received in Norway if he came there. Callie said that he thought King Sigurd would be likely to receive him well if others did not set him against him. Gilchrist and Callie exchanged presents, and at parting they promised each other mutual friendship wherever they might meet. Chapter 51 Of Callie and John After that, Callie went from the west in the same ship. They touched at Agdir, and from there they went to Bergen. Then he made the stanza. Unpleasantly we have been wading in the mud a weary five weeks. Dirt we had indeed in plenty while we lay in Grimsby Harbour. But now on the moor of seagulls ride we o'er the crest of billows. Gaily as the elk of bowsprits eastward ploughs its way to Bergen. When they came to the town there was a great number of people from the north and the south of Norway and from foreign lands who had brought much merchandise. The crew of the ship went to some public places to amuse themselves. Callie was a great dandy, and made a great display. He thought a great deal of himself, and many others thought a great deal of him too, because he was of a good family, and highly accomplished. In the inn, where he sat drinking, there was a man by the name of John Peterson, the son of Cirque from Song. He was a king's vassal at the time. His mother was Helga, the daughter of Harik from Sether. John was a great dandy too. The dame who kept the inn where they were drinking was Un by name, a woman of good repute. John and Callie soon became companions and parted great friends. Whereupon John went home to his estates, and Callie went to his father call at Agdir. Callie stayed frequently with his kinsman Solmund. Thus, some years passed in which Callie made trading trips during the summer and spent the winters at home or with Solmund. Chapter 42 Callie Goes Into Doll's Cave One summer Callie went to Thrandheim. He was detained by weather in an island called Doll's, and there was a cave called Dollschiller. It is said that money was hidden there. The merchants went into the cave and found it very difficult to penetrate. They came to a sheet of water stretching across the cave, and no one dared to cross it except Callie 
and one of Solomon's domestics called Havard. They swam across the lake, having a rope between them. Kelly also carried firewood and fire-making gear between his shoulders. They came to the opposite shore, which was rugged and stony, and the smell was very bad there, so that they could hardly make a light. Kelly said they should not go any farther, and piled up stones as a monument. Then Kelly sang this song. Here I raise a mighty stone pile, in remembrance of our daring, in this doll's cave, dark and gloomy, where we sought the goblin's treasure. Yet I know not how the captain of the ocean's gliding snow skates may recross the dismal water. Long and dreary is the journey. Then they returned and came safe to their men, and does not mention that anything else happened during their journey. When they came to Bjorkvin, Kali went to the same inn to Dame Un. John Peterson was there, and one of his domestics by the name of Brynjolf. Many other men were also there, although their names are not mentioned. Chapter 43 Of Havard and Brynjolf One evening, when John and Kali had gone to bed, many remained drinking and talked a great deal. The guests were getting drunk, and at last they began comparing men and disputing about who were the greatest of all the landed men of Norway. Brynjolf said John Peterson was the best man, and of the noblest family of all the young men south of Stad. Havard, the companion of Cali, spoke of Solmund, and said that he was nothing inferior to John, adding that the men of Vic would esteem him more than John. Out of this a great quarrel arose, and as the ale spoke in them, they kept so little within bounds, that Havard jumped up, took a piece of wood and struck Brynjolf a blow in the head, so that he fainted. Those present took hold of Brynjolf and sent Havard away to Cali, who again sent him to a priest called Rickard and Alvidra. And tell you him from me, said Cali, to keep you till I come to the east. Cali sent a man with him, and they rode to the south until they came to Groningasund. Then Havard said to his fellow traveller, Now as we are out of their reach, let us rest ourselves and lie down to sleep. When Brynjolf recovered, he was conducted to John, and he told him all that happened, and also the man that had been sent away. John guessed the truth about Havard's destination, and ordered ten men, led by Brynjolf, to take a rowing boat, in which they rowed until they came to Groningasund, and by that time it was daylight. They saw a boat on the beach. Brynjolf said, Perhaps these men might be able to tell us something of Havard. They went up and found them when they had just woken up. Brynjolf and his men attacked them immediately with arms, and Havard and his companion were both slain. After this, they returned to the town and told the news to John, and then it was known to the whole town. Kelly considered these slaughters a great defence against himself, and when mediators went between him and John, the latter said that he would leave him to say what amends he wished for the offence, without the prejudice of the right of the king and the parties to the suit. Kelly agreed to this, yet they were no friends from this time. Kelly went home after this occurrence, and when he saw his father, he told him the news and the result. Then Call said, Think your judgment was rather strange, and that you should have agreed to any terms of reconciliation before Solomon knew. Think your position is difficult, and that you can do little else than try to be reconciled. Solomon would not have acted like you if your man had been killed. Callie replied, Suppose it is true, father, that I have judged rather hastily in this matter, and you were too far away to advise me. 
It will often appear I am not so deeply wise as you. But I thought Solomond had not a better chance of gaining honourable amends, though I refused what was offered to me. And I consider it no dishonour for you and Solomond if he offers to allow you to determine your compensation. Though I doubt whether such an offer will be made. But I consider myself under no obligation to Brynjolf. While I have made no award and no money has been received. Father and son had a long talk about this and did not agree. Then they sent men to tell Solmund their news. Chapter 54 of John and Solmund After that, Colin Callie had an interview with Solmund. Col wished to send men to John to try and make peace between them, but Solmund and Halvard, Halvard's brother, refused everything but blood revenge, said it was not becoming to ask for settlement. Yet Col's advice was taken, because he promised not to withdraw from the case until Solomon had received honourable amends, and Col was to lay all the plans. When the messengers returned, they said they had received a most unfavourable reply to their demands, and that John refused positively to be compensation for a man who by his own act had fortified his personal security. Solomon said that this had turned out just as he expected, namely, that little honour would be gained by asking John for settlement, and then he begged Call to propose a plan that might be of some avail. Call replied, Is Halford willing to run any risk in order to avenge his brother even though it may not come to little? Halford said he would not spare himself in order to take revenge, even if there were danger connected with it. Then, said Call, you shall go secretly to Song, to a man called Uni who lives not far from John. He is a wise man, but rather poor, for he has been a long time oppressed by John, but he is a great friend of mine and considerably advanced in years. You shall take to him six marks of silver from me, in order that he may give you advice on how to take revenge on Brynjolf, or some mother of John's men, whom he considers not a loss to him. And, if this can be brought about, Uni shall send you my kinsman, Kirpinga Orm at Studla, and his sons Ogmund and Erlen. And there I will consider you will be as if you were at home. Tell Uni to sell his farm and to come to me. Halvard prepared to go, and we are not told of his journey or night quarters, until he came to Uni one evening. He did not tell his true name. They inquired of each other for current news, and in the evening, when they were sitting round the fire, the guest asked a great deal about the noble men in Song and Hordaland. Uni said that none of the landed men were considered more powerful than John, on account of his family and his violence, and he further asked whether they had no experience of it in the south. When he had said this, the guest became silent. Then the people arose from the fire, and the two remained. Then Uni said, Did you not just say now that your name was Halvard? No, said the guest. I called myself Saxe this evening. Uni said, Then I am out of all difficulties, but if my name were Brynjolf, I should think yours was Halvard, and I let us go and get some sleep. The guest took hold of him and said, Let us not go yet. Whereupon he delivered the purse and said, Call sends you his greeting and this silver, in order that you may be willing to advise me how to avenge my brother Havard on Brynjolf. And then he told him Call's plans. Uni said, Call deserves well of me, but I cannot know what may be done about the revenge on Brynjolf, but he is expected here tomorrow to fetch his concubine's clothes. Thereafter he went with Halvard to a stable, 
which stood opposite the door of the house, and concealed him in the manger. This was before the people got up, but he had slept in the house during the night. When Halford had been a little while in the stable, he saw a brisk man coming to the house. He called into the house and told the woman to make herself ready. She took her clothes and brought them out. Then Halford thought he knew who the man was and walked out. Brynjolf had put down his weapons while he was tying the clothes, and when Halford met him, he dealt him a deadly blow and returned to the stable and hid. While the slaughter was being committed, the woman had gone into the house to take leave of the inmates, but when she came out, she saw what had occurred and ran crying and frightened to such a degree that she was nearly fainting, and she told the news. Farmer Uni ran out and said that the man had probably been an assassin. He dispatched a man to tell John the news and urged his men with great eagerness to search for the murderer, therefore no one suspected him. Halvard remained in the stable until the search had slackened. Then he went, with Uni's advice, to Orm and his sons at Studla, and they sent out men with him to the east. Call and Solomon received him well, and were then well satisfied with their case. After a while the truth came out, and John was very much grieved. Thus that year passed. Next winter, towards Yuletide, John left his home with thirty men, saying that he was going to pay his uncle Olaf a visit. This he did, and he was received very well. John told his uncle that he was going to Agdir to see Solomon. Olaf dissuaded him from it, but John said he was not satisfied to let Brynjolf remain unavenged. Olaf said he thought he would gain very little by trying. Yet he had from there thirty men, and thus he went with half a hundred men across the hills, intending to take Solomon and call by surprise. When John had gone from the north, Uni went in haste to Orm and his sons at Studla, and they sent men and went to see Solomon, and they and their kinsmen waited with a great number of men about them. They had news of John's movements and started immediately to meet them. They met at a certain wood, and the fight began immediately. Call's men were much more numerous and came off victorious. John lost many men and fled into the wood. He was wounded in the leg, and this wound healed so badly that he was lame ever after, and was called John Fought. He came to the north during Lent, and his expedition was considered rather ignominious. The winter thus passed but the next summer John caused two of Colt's kinsmen to be killed. These men were Gunnar and Aslak. <laughs>